Membership fees apply after free trial. Cancel any time. Can I be real with you for a second? That goal you have to exercise and eat better? You really can do it, but nobody is going to do it for you. Nobody is going to push you out of bed to work out. Nobody is going to make you eat better. But here's the thing. Nobody has to because you can do it if you have the right tools and a community that cares about helping you get results. And that's us, Beachbody. Two and a half million people, each doing the Beachbody program that fits our own goals. Over 80 to choose from, some that take just 20 minutes a day. Nutrition plans that teach you how to eat healthy and still enjoy food. What we all have in common is we know it's not easy, so we help each other. It's as convenient as your TV or laptop, but you need to decide that you're worth it. That's why I'm inviting you to try our amazing Beachbody fitness and nutrition programs. Let us help you succeed. Here's how. Go to Beachbody.com to claim your free membership and start feeling great. in which Grand Design celebrates its 20th anniversary, this is a Series Link special with me, Emma Bullymore from the TV Times and Mark Jeffries from The Mirror. This is Series Linked, the podcast for TV fans by TV fans. So we've had 20 years of ambitious projects, going over budget and spontaneous monologues. Last week, me and a very excitable Jeffers, I have to say, went to a special anniversary event to celebrate this landmark in telly. Grand Designs is 20 years old. We got to sit down with the man himself, Kevin McLeod. Before we share the chat, just explain why you were like a kid in a sweet shop. He was he had this little smile on his face. It's not quite Phoebe Waller-Bridge levels, but it's quite special. I mean, Kevin seemed quite surprised that I was so excited to meet him, didn't he? It was a bit embarrassing. Obviously, doesn't get that reaction that often. But I mean, it's not just me. I mean, it's a great program. You've got a bit of a roller coaster of emotion. Will they? Won't they? Because sometimes they don't actually finish them properly, which is a bit frustrating. But when you get a good episode of this and you actually like the design, it's just sort of, uh, yeah, visually very stimulating. I find it quite relaxing to watch it because I guess they've all the stress is on them. It's not on you. And yeah, I should put, give you a few facts as well. It goes out in 190 territories wow. worldwide. So, I mean, it's, a, it's not just me that really likes it. We're on 198 episodes. So I think obviously for this 20th series, we'll go through into the 200th episode as well. And yeah, there's German versions. There's lots of other different versions. And uh, Meryl Streep's amongst the biggest fans. Yeah, so it's not just me. You and Meryl sitting together watching Grand Designs. What a picture in my head. Let's, let's delay ourselves no longer. Here he is. This is Kevin McLeod. We're joined by Kevin McLeod, Jeff's personal hero. Yay! To a whole series of the podcast and a little bit to get to this moment. Are you so excited, Jeff? It's Jeffers? a huge moment, yeah. It's, it's monumental, this, for the podcast, I think. Thank you for joining us. It's monumental for me because podcasts are the future, you see, whereas television is yesterday's medium. No, nonsense, <laughs> nonsense. I mean, 20 years is no mean feat. Did you think when you started that this might be the case? No, I didn't think we'd make a second series, let alone 20 years. So it's a miracle we're here. A miracle. So tonight I've got my first producer, John Silver, who we, I sort of crafted the first series with coming, you know, and we're going to sit down and drink. <laughs> do, do you remember much about that first series? I think the first episode went out April the 29th, 1999. Did it? It did. <laughs> I knew that off the we top of my head. We started work on it in 1997, of course, a bit of a really? while before. Really? Well, because it takes a while to cook, you know. Mm. And that very first episode is really odd because there are some little moments which are kind of a tentative 
uh, which we shouldn't have put into the film. There were more of them, in fact, that we've recorded. And over the course of making the first series, we very quickly learned what we should be doing and what we shouldn't be doing. And one of the big things was that it came at a time in television when either people were very used to exploitative television that swapped people's roles or circumstances and didn't tell them where they were going, what they were doing, or where every programme, every other programme, was a makeover show. And although Grand Designs, you could... I suppose superficially described as you know a makeover program. It's not about that at all. It's about people and this big journey. It's Daisy Goodwin who had the first idea, who's more famous now for having written Victoria the series <laughs> and made much more money out of Victoria the series. She had the idea for Grand Designs, and she said she got it right at the start. She said it's not makeover because there's something else here which is poetry. There's this kind of very poetic human element, and so it took us a while to figure out what she meant. <laughs> And uh, John and I went off into the field with a crew and just mucked around and, and learnt very quickly that we shouldn't be selling, we shouldn't be making over, we shouldn't be getting involved even, because my job is to be on the viewer's side, not the builder's side. Do you find that hard, though, not to go, oh, but you should be doing this? Yeah, but I do all that anyway. I do it off camera. It <laughs> right. There's a huge amount of waiting around. I think our ratio on Grand Designs is 200 to 1, which is this magic thing. So that, you know, the, you judge quality in television programming by the ratio. So daytime television can be a ratio of, it can be live, right? So it can be 1 to 1, but it needs huge resources for that. But if it's pre-recorded, it can be like 10 to 1 or 20 to 1 or 50 to 1. And the, more, the higher you go, the more expensive it is. So for every two hours of film that we record, we get one hour of usable stuff. So on a day, we'd be lucky to get away with five minutes of usable television. And you may ask, what is it that we are doing all this time? <laughs> Passing around. And what is uh, it? We are uh, bonding with our contributors. Uh, we are, uh, we're standing around usually waiting for a plane to go over or a siren to stop or a dog to stop barking or somebody strimming who's seen us filming and decided what a good idea it is to, to strim <laughs> their entire garden because they've seen us. Yes. So is the process the same now? Or would you say you visit the houses or the, the d designs more or less than when you first started? Yeah, it's very similar. And as much as we do a lot of due diligence first, we do look at loads of stuff that people send through drawings look at their design and access statement there are plenty of applications we talk to them on the phone we get we do little mini interviews we send out the researchers the, the juniors in the team will go in with a small camera film them fill the model write their own story and cut their own miniature three-minute film and we'll use that as a kind of recce to gauge our response to like an x-factor audition but for the properties <clears throat> Yeah, that doesn't exist, of course, because it's yeah. just an idea. I guess for the people as well, though, to see whether they look it's like they're going to be comfortable on camera. For that, for that reason. And then we sort of have a discussion and we take a view and then we try and sell it to the channel. And um, it, I enjoy that. But it's, uh, yeah, we do, it's, it's always been the same. And we've always found it difficult to find good projects that are new and fresh and different. And it's always been tricky to, to get them off the ground. But, you know, that's because we've got very, very high standards. Do you get emotionally involved or are you able to take a step back? Do you sort of Sorry, wake up in the emotionally what? <laughs> do you don't wake up in the middle of the night thinking I'm worried about them and their budgets? I worry about many things and I do wake up in the middle of the night, but it's never about it's, I, I worry about whether I'm going to get paid at the end of the month and I worry about <laughs> so many things in, in the world but I, uh, and I worry about whether we'll have an audience next year and whether we'll get a recommission but I do not no, it's, it's like being a psychiatrist. I just, you know, I, I just turn up like a vampire, suck the life out of these <laughs> projects and then disappear. I've heard you say before you're the voice of doom or you're like a Greek chorus. Is that, do you still see yourself in that sort of role? No, I'm an enthusiast. And the reason I think I've stuck at it for so long is it's a, it's a great opportunity for me to celebrate stuff I love, not carp on. And I don't, 
I don't particularly enjoy working with directors who are very negative and just want to go for this, the J word, which is, which is a really popular word in television, has been since I've worked in it, which is jeopardy. And there's a kind of way in which very poor television kind of just pursues the jeopardy as the only important component in a story. Whereas actually, coming back to Daisy's poetry idea, there are positive things too, and I love it when things go right. I don't like it when things go wrong. I particularly don't like it when we end up talking just about money because the the, the storyline just contracts to this single thread, which is very dull to say, to, to relate and to to, to tell. So um, now for me, it's all about trying to share and you know push out the, the positive, despite the reputation. So I've just got a grumpy face. <laughs> well, the other problem you've got with that narrative is the general problems are the. It's either the time constraint, they generally don't allow enough time, or it's, or it's over budget. The, yeah. I was going to say, for you, they, they must be the two most common things. There's this relationship between the three variables in building, which are time, money, and quality. And we do have the time. So sometimes, like Edwin Rowena, who we filmed up in Herefordshire, we've been filming for 10 years. I think it's probably our longest. The series The Street that went out this spring eventually it went out even though not all the houses were quite ready because the channel just got fed up waiting because we said we'd be finishing it like three years ago so we've been filming that for six years so in a way if people let their projects spool out although it gives us a short-term headache in terms of delivering projects for a series it's better in the end to have finished projects i always laugh when people say to me are you filming another series i think well we've got about 26 projects on the go eight (laughs) are meant to go out this autumn three are finished don't know about the others. It's kind of, you know, it's a kind of, there's a grey area with each series. And yet we, we usually manage to deliver something in September. And as a viewer, I think one of the best bits is just the imagination and things that we could never conceive being built. And then seeing them actually come to yes, life. Yes, it's, it's a miracle. It's, it's what's inside human minds. Yeah, and that's why, that's why I still do it. Because it's, you're, you're seeing people's dreams and their foibles and their personalities kind of made real. That's why I love it. That's, it's the antithesis of programmes about sofas, you know, or, <laughs> do you know what I mean? Or kitchens. I mean, because for, somebody said to me today, you hate the word property. And I, first of all, I, I, I just hate hate. I said, no, I don't hate the word property. It's just I don't use it. And I don't think it's relevant because property, whether it's a, a collection of spoons or, or classic cars or houses, it's acquisitions. It's stuff that you buy and you sell. And it, it suggests you do so with a degree of um, distance and sort of uh, coolness. Whereas the home thing, the, the journey that people go on when they're, when they're decorating or as much as when they're building is, is much more interesting because it's not about money. Of course, you spend a lot of money doing it, but it's, it's, about, it's about the expression of ideas. It's about the value in place and the value in a home, not the value in pound notes, put it that way. Going back to the start, did you always see yourself as being a potentially a sort of TV presenter? I read that you worked in theatre, I think, I've in libraries. You've done loads of stuff. I've, loads of stuff, I've avoided being a television presenter all my life. So how did this come about? Not that it's the kind of sort of Democles hanging over all of us, is it? If you don't behave, you don't actually turn out to be any good at what you do, you'll end up a television presenter, which is sort of what happened to me. Uh, I've done other things, yes, with varying degrees of success. But how did this come about? You st- I know you studied architecture, but how did yeah. you get the, the gig on Grand Designs? By accident. I, I just, <laughs> how else do you get the gig? You know, you don't go to... Don't go to do a degree in television presenting. It's kind of being a piece of telly fluff is the most incidental occupation. It's not really a job. And I turn up. I mean, it's amazing. I get paid for turning up and just spouting and mucking about in front of a camera 
And yeah, there are serious aspects to it, but fundamentally, I, it's very collaborative. I'm, I'm the sort of, I'll tell you what it is. It's like a little military exercise with a, a platoon. You know, you've got your officer, who's the director, and your cameraman, who's, you know, he might be like, you know, staff sergeant, major, or whatever. And you've got your sound guy, who's, you know, whatever. So I don't know. They're all, they've all got roles, and they've all got jobs, and they've all got titles, and there's a hierarchy. And I was telling my friend this, he said to me, he said, so what are you? I said, uh, I don't know, I don't really have a rank. He said, I know what you are. He said, you're the regimental mascot. <laughs> you're the, the fluffy goat. You're very modest, Kevin, because you've got those pieces at the end of each show. It's true, though. I mean, but You deliver some of these monologues at the end of the show. People lo- really love those, and you know they, they've got bigger and better, I guess, over the years. Have they? But, yeah, I, I so. worry about that. I worry that they go... I, I have quite an existential crisis over those, because there's an infinite source of buildings, of course, and supply of ideas, but actually, you know, there's only so many words in the English language, and I begin to worry that I do repeat myself a bit. But you'd never consider not ending the show like that? You have to. They won't let me go unless I've done that, so... They usually make me do that in the middle of the afternoon, though, actually, sometimes after lunch. It's not the last thing you do, then? No, it's often not, because it depends on the weather. And, uh, you know, if you've got a weather window, we'll do it then. And it's quite hard, because you haven't had the final conversation with the contributor. So it's like, how how do we... Will this happen in the conversation? Will we be able to come to this conclusion? But usually we we kind of get there. And is it ever an exercise in diplomacy, if something's not maybe to your taste? or? Well, here's an interesting thing. Uh, so I'm on the viewer's side, one, okay. Two, I do have my own taste. But as I've said before, my taste is not your taste, it's not your taste, and actually your taste is not your taste five years ago or five years hence. So if I make a judgment based on my taste, that's a difficult and wrong thing to do because it's going to... I can do that. I can do it diplomatically, and I can do it in a way which is... I mean, for the viewer, I mean, not for the contributors. So I can do it in such a way as to suggest something to the viewer knowing full well that it's going to throw them in a different direction. So I can suggest an idea which will make you think something else by contrast. And that's good. Getting you to think as a viewer is really important. I've discovered I can say anything I like to the builders. I mean, anything. I can say it's a heap of shit, a pile of rubbish. <laughs> I can say you were wrong, mistaken. And they will say to me, they've usually built just one house, one, and I may have seen, I don't know, hundreds. And... You know, I've, I've seen other people make mistakes along the way. And they will say, no, Kevin, you're wrong. We're right. We're, and they've got this zealous glint in their eye, these people. As they do. And that's self-builders. I mean, they're on this righteous path of, you know, absolute self-realization, self-actualization. And it, it's very exciting to see. And it doesn't matter what background they're from or where they are in life. Once they're on it, they're really hooked. And I've seen people from the social housing list on community cell builds just as empowered and just as wound up and excited by what they're doing as people who are very, you know, moneyed and have got, you know, as a cash to spend. But I, I can say whatever I like to these people, really. They're not going to listen to me. So my important thing is to address the viewer. In so doing, I've got to sidestep the issues of taste. So for me, it's about trying to make a judgment about the quality of the design. And that's usually evident in the drawings. And uh, some kind of judgment about the quality of construction. Is it well designed? Is it well made? In other words, and I think actually all of us are capable. When we pick up a spoon or handle a jacket or... I don't know, you know, climb into a car. We're able, all of us, to understand when something's well-designed and when it's well-made, because it suits us, it fits us, makes us feel good, but also we can admire the quality. And admiration is not the same thing as exercising taste. We can admire something even if we don't like it. And have you made any friends over the years? 
There, are there some houses we've I've, seen on screen you go back to? I've got friends <laughs> on the pro, on the program. I, mean, I guess you'd have a few, but I mean, is there anyone on the program you go back to their houses yeah, again and again? Just well, only you know Ed and Rowena, who I've been going back to for ten years. Only by dint of the fact I've been seeing them for ten years have we got to know each other. We you know you sort of slightly live in and out of each other's pockets anyway when you're filming, and we've had them along to the exhibition a few times again and again. And we keep going back again and again. And they will never finish. And Ed says he will never finish. That's very important. So for him, the process of building is a sort of form of self-definition for him. Not for everybody at all, but for him it is. And uh, that's great because we've got this eternal wellspring of television to make. We just keep going back there. And you were talking about the spin-offs, obviously the street, but also there's an, a New Zealand version, Australian version. Swedish. Swedish. New, coming soon. Wow, that's exciting. The Swedish version in Swedish, yeah. Do you watch these other versions and what yeah, do you make of them? Well, I don't. Well, I haven't watched the Swedish one. That hasn't come out yet. I watched the um, Australian. I watched the New Zealand one. I actually know very well both presenters because I've gone to Australia a bit to support the brand and they've come here and Chris used to practice who presents the New Zealand but she used to practice in the UK and I've really admired his architecture for a long while and Peter in who's from Melbourne is a lovely man and so yeah we've got to know each other a lot uh, and done some fun stuff together and I watched their series because it's the only time I can watch Grand Designs without knowing how it ends I normally know I mean I'm actually I don't watch myself I don't watch the UK series I don't sit down and watch television, you know, watch it on telly. I, I've seen it a few times already. Yeah. And we've never seen your house or houses? No, I live in a tent. <laughs> Come on, what kind of style is some of your places like? I'm interested. Some of my know. places? You must, I'm, I, I just one. imagine you're going to have more than one house. Got Kevin. one. And what kind of style it's would very, it be? Like, well, I'll tell you something. I live in a very modest place and it's, uh, it's very lovely. But people would love to you know You wouldn't more, ask wouldn't Richard Attenborough about his favourite dog. Would you? <laughs> I'm not that minimal. I think I would be. But actually, I really like the personal. I like things. I like objects. And I like the story and the narrative of things. I'm really an art historian, architectural historian. That's my back. And I'm, I'm, for me, history matters and the resonance of history and the passage of time matters a great deal. So I like that in architecture and I like it in, in my world and life. So I, I'm not, I don't surround myself with antiques <laughs> at all. I've got a modern sofa, but I don't have bifold doors. Uh, and <laughs> I've got French doors. I, I don't rigorously adhere to a style, and I'm certainly nothing by way of a style guru. So all this leads me to conclude that actually it's very important I don't talk to people about my house because I just think it would be a letdown. It would be, you know, it would blow my cover, as it were. <laughs> and 20 more years? Yeah, pray God. I mean, I, I'd love to do more. Not my decision. It's the decision of the great British viewing public. Well, we'll decide on their behalf, and we'll say yeah. Well, yeah, you, I mean, I was, quite, yeah. you, I was quite excited. It sounds like you've at any one time, so maybe now you've got maybe 20 projects on the go, potential ones for screen? Or? 30 probably, yeah, yeah. Well, so we've got, we've got a few series. Yeah, we've got we? a few, yeah, yeah. Well, that's the lovely thing, is the channel, after the first couple of series, did commit to a long lead time and allowed us to run an office all year round, you know. And although the office numbers vary, nevertheless, we re unlike most productions, we retain continuity. It's, the television's full of people working freelance who are just on contract for six months and then, then, you know, the desk shut down. And Whereas we've just kind of quietly just peddled in our little backwater in little circles for the last 20 years. And it's fantastic to have been allowed the privilege of being able to just, you know, maintain that continuity and to follow people like Ed and Rowena, you know, for a decade, yeah. What the biggest thing you think you've learned from all the projects? That no one listens to me. <laughs> it doesn't stop me from banging on. Because they're still over budget and still not yeah, enough time. No one listens to me. Only recently, I'm, I'm so sick, I only recently <laughs> figured out why everybody goes over budget. 
And it was because some estate agents did some survey of grand designs for some newspaper and the survey revealed that you know 79% of all projects go over budget and the average is and then the, and, and I read all this and I thought this is so so depressing and <laughs> I spoke to a friend of mine and he said no they don't go over budget I said what do you mean he said they, they don't have a budget and I said well, explain. He said, well, how many of them employ a quantity surveyor at the beginning? How many of them actually have it correctly costed? And the answer is almost none. So those that do tend to come in against the budget that the quantity surveyor says. I have seen people in the situation where they engage a quantity surveyor, they pay them, the QS comes up with the numbers for the project, and they go, no, no I could do it for less than that. <laughs> and guess where it comes in at the end? It comes in on the QS's estimates. And so when people talk about a budget, it's not a budget. When we refer to the budget, it's not a budget. It's a fanciful hope it's a and nothing <laughs> more and nothing more. And I'm going to start referring to it now in scripts as fanciful hope. <laughs> They've already spent their fanciful hope of £250,000 and are now 290000 over fanciful hope. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks to Kevin. And the new series of Grand Designs kicks off with a special, Kevin's Grandest Design. That's on Wednesday, the 28th of August, 9 o'clock on Channel 4. And that's going to be followed by a brand new proper series of Grand Designs. And if you miss it, you can always catch up on all four. That's almost it for this very special episode of Series Linked. But we can't let you go without sort of looking ahead to what's going to be coming up on the telly. Jeffers, this is your moment. I wouldn't deny it to you. Not on a Kevin MacLeod special week. It would just be too cruel. Come on then. What are we going to be watching next week? Uh, this is the return of The Reluctant Landlord, which is Ramesh Ranganathan's sitcom on Sky One. Um, yeah, it's a second series. It's sort of based on his own experiences of when he took over his own dad's pub in East Grinstead uh, when his dad passed away. And yeah, I think it's worth a second go. We've got Sean Gibson playing his wife. It was pretty funny first time around. I, th- I think this could be pretty good. Sean Gibson's incredible. Just watch it for her, if nothing else. Right, next month. Next month, something a bit different. It's Criminal on Netflix. This drops on September the 20th. It's a really described as being a unique project. It's 12 different stories set in four different countries and they all take part within the confines of a police interview suite. We've got some really big names on this one. David Tennant, Catherine Kelly, Lee Ingleby and Roshenda Sandor, one of friends from the pod as well, from when she was in Line of Duty. And I just think this one's got potential as well. And what about next year? Next year, we've just had casting for The Bay Series 2. This was something we quite liked uh, when it was on ITV with Morvan Christie. And we've got some new names in this. Joining Morvan are Joe Absalom from uh, Doc Martin, Steve Tompkinson and Sonetra Sarka from Ackley Bridge. Steve Tompkinson. You don't, you don't call him Stephen now because you're, you're too matey of them. I like that. Right. Thanks, Jeffers. That's all we've got time for. This has been the Series Linked podcast. If you've enjoyed it, go on. Do a nice thing today. Leave us a five-star rating and a review if you wouldn't mind. And make sure you're subscribed as well so you're the first to hear about all the latest telly. For now, though, bye-bye. Goodbye. Membership fees apply after free trial. Cancel any time. Can I be real with you for a second? That goal you have to exercise and eat better? You really can do it, but nobody is going to do it for you. Nobody is going to push you out of bed to work out. Nobody is going to make you eat better. But here's the thing. Nobody has to. 
because you can do it if you have the right tools and a community that cares about helping you get results. And that's us, Beachbody. Two and a half million people, each doing the Beachbody program that fits our own goals. Over 80 to choose from, some that take just 20 minutes a day. Nutrition plans that teach you how to eat healthy and still enjoy food. What we all have in common is we know it's not easy, so we help each other. It's as convenient as your TV or laptop, but you need to decide that you're worth it. That's why I'm inviting you to try our amazing Beachbody fitness and nutrition programs. Let us help you succeed. Here's how. Go to Beachbody.com to claim your free membership and start feeling great.